15.6, Genesis 12.3, Genesis 18.18, Deuteronomy 27.26, Deuteronomy 21.23, Leviticus 18.5, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, which he quotes also in Romans and Hebrews. That's a lot of Old Testament references. You know what is he, he's doing here? You know what he's essentially doing? He's taking the argument thrown against him and uses it to support his argument. It's actually a brilliant move. He's using what the Judaizers are saying. Well, we depend on the Holy, uh, on the Holy Scripture, meaning the Old Testament, saying, ito yung sinasabi ng salita ng Diyos sa Old Testament. And this is how we are being made righteous uh, with God. And Paul comes in and says, yeah, let me get your strongest points and I will tell you I'm right. And that's what he's doing. And I hope that I will be able to uh, you know, give justice to what uh, Paul is saying here. That the gospel message can also be found in the Old Testament. So here's the gospel message we can find in the Old Testament. Number one, that the promise of God was fulfilled in Christ. The promise of God was fulfilled in Christ. You know, specifically, this promise refers to God's promise to Abraham. And we see in our text, Abraham was men mentioned uh, at least four times, and that does not stop. We will continue to talk about Abraham and his family in succeeding chapters. Why would Paul mention Abraham? Why would Paul mention Abraham a lot? As the first basis of his gospel message from the Old Testament. Why? Why do you think Paul would mention Abraham? Well, number one reason, it is a point of pride for Jews to be associated with Abraham. You know, it's their flag. We are children of Abraham. Right? It makes them proud to be son to be called sons and daughters of Abraham. In fact, if you want to trigger a Jew during that time, if you want to trigger them, uh, call them out as your father is not Abraham. And that's what Jesus has done in, in John 8. He says this, I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Jews. Our father is Abraham. And Jesus replied, If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. And we will get to that in a bit, what Abraham did. In, in that uh, chapter, verse 44, John 8, 44, this is really triggering to the Jews. You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> your father is not Abraham your father is the devil that's why it's important to, to mention uh, Paul uh, Paul to mention Abraham is you know that's that's an important thing for them and to connect that with what Jesus says if really your father is Abraham you should do what he did 
And we'll get to that in a bit. Number two reason why Paul mentioned Abraham. Abraham was the first one to receive the circumcision as a sign of God's covenant. Remember, ito yung pinupush ng mga Jewish Christians at that time. Oh, for you to really be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. So, Paul talks about uh, Abraham's, uh, Abraham who identified circumcision with him. Right? So again, remember these troublemakers in Galatia were pushing for the new believers to be circumcised. And the message is, if you really want to be to receive God's blessing uh, and His promise uh, to Abraham, you should be, you have to be in the household of Abraham. Alright? Which, by the way, just an FYI, uh, you can be part of the Israelite community even though by blood you're not. Meron probation for that. There's a provision for non-Israelites, those who are not born in the line of Abraham, to be considered as part of the household of Abraham, provided you get circumcised. Mm -hmm. So, kahit yung provision ni, ni God sa covenant sa Genesis 17, if you look at that, ang sabi ni God doon, uh, everyone in your household whether they are born or purchased, they must be circumcised. Meaning, you can be part of the household of Abraham even though wala kayong blood relation. What will connect you is the covenant of circumcision. That's why, kaya i-convince uh, ng mga Jewish Christians, yung mga Gentiles, o oh, sige, okay lang kahit na hindi kayo ethnically Jews, Pwede kayo maging Jews by virtue of circumcision. Galing, no? Galing ng argument. And, and Paul gets them, gets all of those arguments as a response. As a response. Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. What does Genesis 15.6 says? Abraham believed the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was declared righteous before God because he believed that God would be true to his promise. Mm. And this is important, very important, very crucial. Because what Paul is implying here, what Paul is saying here, is this. Look at the timeline. Abraham was justified by faith, Genesis 15. Abraham circumcision, Genesis 17. You know what's going on here? Abraham was not justified because he was circumcised. His justifying faith in God happened before circumcision. It was not the act of circumcision that made him righteous before God. It was his belief, his faith in God that, he, that God will be true to his promise that is credited to him as righteousness. So when the Jewish Christians are trying to convince the Gentiles, oh, you need to be circumcised to be made right with God, Paul is saying that's not what happened to Abraham. He was, it was credited to him as righteousness because he put his faith in God will be true to his promise even before he was circumcised. 
amazing argument, right? So what he's saying here is, is this, to convince people to be circumcised, to be counted as Abraham's family, is a flawed doctrine. It is senseless. It is wrong. That does not make you righteous before God because that did not happen with Abraham. And if uh, verse 7 is clear with this, and, I, and I'm uh, using the NLT here, verse 7 says in our text, the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. Those who put their faith in God. And here's the picture. Paul makes an assertion, assertion here, which I believe, that Abraham's faith is not blind faith. Right? When it says, Abraham believed God and it credited to him as righteousness, it's not a blind faith. There's a clear object of Abraham's faith. The object of his faith is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this, uh, explains this to us, verse 16 of our text. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He did not say and to seeds. Basically, Paul is interpreting the Old Testament scripture here. Mm. He did not say and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one, to your seed, who is Christ. Friends, there is no theological gymnastics happening here. I don't need to interpret what Paul is saying. He makes it very clear for us. He makes the interpretation for us. The seed of Abraham, the offspring by which all nations will be blessed, is Jesus Christ. I did not do that. Paul says that in this letter. Maybe he's introducing uh, a New Testament concept in uh, and, and applying it and introducing it in the Old Testament uh, passage. Well, if you believe that, you know, a post letter is part of the inspired Word of God, then this is the right interpretation of what happened in the Old Testament. But how is this relevant to you and me? How does that make us understand the Gospel better? What it means for us, if that's what happened to Abraham, meaning you are a recipient of God's blessing to Abraham because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promise. You're not an afterthought. The Old Testament in our text says that as well. The Old Testament has the Gentiles part of the plan. It was not like, okay, we will save the Jews and then maybe a version 2 of gospel will be including the Gentiles. Our text says the scripture has seen that the Gentiles will come to faith. And so therefore, this is true. Friends, you are not an afterthought. In Ephesians 2, 19, ought to be a comforting word for us. Paul tells 
believers in Ephesus, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You don't have to be physically be part of Abraham's household to receive this promise. You are a citizen of this household by your faith in Jesus Christ. What a comforting message, don't you think? If we feel that we're an outsider, if we, we think we do not belong just because you know we don't know things that other people know, I don't I have a difficult grasp of what other people are talking about. I don't read the, the same books that other people are reading. No, you belong here. You're a fellow citizen. But let me switch gears a little bit. Imagine yourself as a Galatian believer during this time. Imagine yourself to be one of the Galatian believers. Let's say for some reason, for some reason, you were convinced, you were convinced that for you to be a true Christian, you must be circumcised. You are one of those people that Paul says, you foolish Galatians. You were convinced by this uh, uh, circumcision party. And so you did. You said, ah, okay, if this is the case, I must be circumcised for my salvation to be really true. And so, you know, the circumcision party comes in and congratulates you. Congratulations! How does it feel to be a Jew? Congratulations! How does it feel now that you belong to the household of God? And of course, you feel proud about your action. You're, you're better than your Galatian brothers because you're now circumcised and therefore you're a Jew, therefore you're now completely saved. And, and you're now in fellowship with the Jewish uh, believers, you, you eat with them. But these Jewish Christians are saying, well, congratulations, you're now part of us, but now that you're one of us, you must follow strict Jewish rules. Those you have been eating before, you cannot eat them again. You have been celebrating other festivals, you cannot celebrate them anymore. We have our Jewish feast, you should join us. Basically the message is this, because you tried to complete your salvation by becoming a Jew, you must now do what is necessary to keep that salvation. If you think by being a Jew, you will be saved, then you will live for the rest of your life following the Jewish rules. Circumcision is just the first step. You know the bad news? If you are that Galatian believer, that is going to be an exhausting way to live. You will be frustrated, you will be exhausted, you will be angry. And you know what? There's a, a German monk in 16th century named Martin Luther. 
who lived that way was frustrated, exhausted, angry at God because he struggled to understand the righteousness of God. And this is um, a portion of his conversion story. So see Martin Luther in 16th century, he confessed. And again, obviously this is a paraphrase because it's in English, not in German. This is his conversion story, part of it. Sabina, despite leading a blameless life as a monk, I experienced an overwhelming sense of guilt and considered myself a sinner in the eyes of God. I couldn't bring myself to believe that my attempts to make amends would appease God. I hated the righteousness of God, who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring, I was angry with God. Why? Because he was trying his best to fulfill the demands of the law to be righteous with God. Because that's what the Old Testament teaches. It's what the Old Testament teaches. But the good news for Martin Luther, the good news for you and me here today is that the demands of the law was fulfilled by Christ. The demands of the law was fulfilled by Christ. You know, the simplistic way of looking at the Old Testament law, your stipulations known, is this. You follow, you will live a good life. You don't follow, you will suffer. And that's in part true. If you obey, your life will be harmonious. If you don't follow, there are consequences and you will suffer. But there's an un underlying message of the law. And it's this. You must be holy for your God is holy. Mm. It's not just about the do's and don'ts. You do this, you will be blessed. You don't do this, you will be cursed. It's about showing to us, and I will mention this more, uh, more in detail in uh, next Lord's Day when we talk about the law. That the law is there to show us the holiness of God. That's why it makes everyone frustrated because they cannot be holy with God by just fulfilling all the law. And that's the point of Paul in this particular passage. He says in verse 12, But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. If you want to be righteous with God by following these uh, laws, that will be your life and death. And let me backtrack verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If you want to fulfill all the merits of the law, good luck. <laughs> Go ahead. But if you cannot fulfill all of them, you might as well be cursed. And so the good news is that Christ fulfilled that on our behalf. 
How did Jesus fulfill the demands of the law? Well, number one, he fulfilled it by his full obedience to the law. In his words, he says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Isaiah 53, 9 says, He had done no violence. He had not spoken deceitfully. The writer of Hebrews says he did not sin. Pilate could not, Pontius Pilate could not find any fault in him. The religious leaders at that time had to manufacture fault, false witnesses against him. Jesus completely obeyed the merits of the law. And interestingly, how the only one who could possibly and the only one who did fulfill completely the law is the only one you know, could possibly be extended to the law, submitted himself to the law. In fact, when Jesus was about to be baptized, John the Baptist says, Lord, ako na lang i-baptize mo. You know what Jesus says? Let it be so, so that we may fulfill all righteousness. He did not say, Oh, I'm exempted of these things. He submitted himself to the law. So Jesus is the only one who is able to completely obey the stipulations of the law. And that means, yung simplistic logic natin, na if you follow the law, you will be blessed. If you don't follow the law, you will be cursed. Right? In yung base, very simple, basic premise natin. If Jesus is the only one who fulfilled all the law, then he should be blessed. Right? Then why is he cursed? Why is he on the cross? Why was he punished? Martin Luther and Paul, I believe, more so for Paul, might have thought that Jesus on the cross meant that Jesus was being punished for his sins. But God opened his eyes, and this is the message of that in verse 13 of our text. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on the tree. Christ was crucified not because of his sin, but because of the sin that was credited to him. And that's the second thing on how he fulfilled the demands of the law. He fulfilled it by receiving the full curse of the law on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. God looks at Jesus on the cross and considers him sin, meaning as if he did not, he is, 
he 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 is he is deserving of the judgment of God. And why did he do that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was crucified on the cross because all the sin of those who cannot fulfill the law was placed on him. And his full obedience to the law was placed on those who cannot fulfill the, the law. And tawag doon ng mga theologians, the great exchange. All our sin placed on him, all his righteousness credited to us. And that's the good news for the Galatian believers and for us today. There is no need to live an exhausting life trying to fulfill the demands of the law. Which, by the way, there's a space uh, for the law in our lives and I will talk about that next week. But there's no need to justify our existence, to justify our, ourselves before God by fulfilling the demands of the law. Christ has done that. Christ has done what you are unable to do even in your best behavior. Even if you have conditioned yourself to be the, the brightest, the best, the most behaved person on earth, you will still be unable to be righteous before God. But Christ has done that on your behalf. Not only that, the curse that was meant for you curse that was meant for the Galatian believers, the curse that was meant for us, Jesus takes for himself. Just like the line that we sang earlier, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. You know, Martin Luther's eyes were opened by the verse that Paul quotes here, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Those who are made righteous by God shall live by their faith in the finished work of Jesus, not by working our way towards righteousness. And in, in his conversion story, Martin Luther says, here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. He saw that the righteousness of God is received by faith in Jesus Christ. And by that he says he's born again. So friends, our Old Testament Bible speaks of the same gospel as the New Testament. It tells us that the promise of God was fulfilled in Christ. It tells us that the demands of the law was fulfilled by Christ. Adam, Eve, Seth, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and everyone else, they were all justified by God through their faith in the coming seed, the coming offspring, who will save them from their sin. They were placing their faith in God who promised them that there will be a coming Messiah. In the same way, 
we are justified by God through our faith in Jesus who has come, who has saved us from our sin. Phil Reichen, and I'm going to use his words because this is a good summary of what our text teaches. He says, from start to finish, the whole Christian life is by grace through faith. A new life in Christ commences with faith, it continues by faith, and will be completed through faith. Pastor, does that mean I will just try to keep believing? Do I just say, don't stop believing? <laughs> Is Christian life all just by, you know, believe, 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 believe? Is faith just a mental exercise to try harder and believe better? Maybe our Tagalog translation of faith would be more helpful in this case. What is the Tagalog translation of faith? Some say maniwala. Some say magtiwala. You know, really, our, our Tagalog translation of faith is, for me personally, is so much better to explain what's happening here. The Tagalog of faith is sampalataya. Sampalataya. Ang sampalataya, two words. Sampah, taya. Know what's happening here? Anong nangyayari kapag ikaw ay sumasampah? You're putting your full weight on someone or something. Anong nangyayari kapag tumataya ka? Yung mga tumataya ka ng loto. <laughs> You're placing your hope Right? In this object, hoping for someone or something, hoping that this will give you a good hope. You sampah, you taya, sampalatay. Friends, that's faith. You are putting your whole weight, you're placing all your bets, all in, in Jesus Christ, believing that he has fulfilled all the demands of the law on your behalf. Believing that the promise of God in Abraham was fulfilled in him. You sampah, you taya on what Christ has done for you. If you are asking about what it means to be a Christian, the Jewish believers, professing believers, was saying, well, we're Christians because our parents are Christians. Or we're Christians because we are following the, you know, the what is expected to be a Christian. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you sampalataya on Him, you're saying, you are born of the Spirit. You're saying, Christ is my righteousness. 
I place my weight, I place all my bets in Him because that's only the way that I will be made righteous with God. Let's pray. So our Father, we thank you once again for the privilege that we have to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that it will be deeply planted in our hearts. I pray for my friends here who are struggling what it means to, to, to know what it means to be a Christian. Grant them the comfort and the joy that our righteousness is Christ alone. May we put our full weight in what He has done. May we place all our hopes, all our bets in Him because He is our treasure. May this bring joy and confidence and gladness in each and every one of us. In Christ's name. Amen.